Chapter Two, Part Two of the Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Two, A Man Dead. He dropped into his chair again, but only for a moment. Then, drawing himself up, he hurried toward the door with a jerky step. I'm going, Monsieur le Préfet. I'm going. Tomorrow morning I'll show you. I shall have all the proofs, and the police will protect me. I am ill, you know, but I want to live. I have the right to live, and my son too, and we will live. Oh, the scoundrels! And he ran, stumbling out like a drunken man. Monsieur de Malion rose hastily. I shall have inquiries made about that man's circumstances. I shall have his house watched. I've telephoned to the detective office already. I'm expecting someone in whom I have every confidence. Don Luis said, Monsieur le Préfet, I beg you, with an earnestness which you will understand, to authorize me to pursue the investigation. Cosmo Mornington's will makes it my duty, and, allow me to say, gives me the right to do so. Monsieur Fauville's enemies have given proofs of extraordinary cleverness and daring. I want to have the honor of being at the post of danger tonight, at Monsieur Fauville's house, near his person. The prefect hesitated. He was bound to reflect how greatly to Don Luis Perenna's interest it was that none of the Mornington heirs should be discovered, or at least be able to come between him and the millions of the inheritance. Was it safe to attribute to a noble sentiment of gratitude, to a lofty conception of friendship and duty, that strange longing to protect Hippolyte Fauville against the death that threatened him? For some seconds M. de Malion watched that resolute face, those intelligent eyes, at once innocent and satirical grave and smiling, eyes through which you could certainly not penetrate their owner's baffling individuality, but which nevertheless looked at you with an expression of absolute frankness and sincerity. Then he called his secretary. "'Has any one come from the detective office?' "'Yes, Monsieur le Préfet. Sergeant Mazeroux is here. Please have him shown in.' And turning to Perena, "'Sergeant Mazeroux is one of our smartest detectives.' I used to employ him, together with that poor Vero, when I wanted any one more than ordinarily active and sharp. He will be of great use to you. Sergeant Mazeroux entered. He was a short, lean, wiry man, whose drooping moustache, heavy eyelids, watery eyes, and long, lank hair gave him a most doleful appearance. Mazeroux, said the prefect, you will have heard by this time of your comrade Vero's death and of the horrible circumstances attending it. We must now avenge him and prevent further crimes. This gentleman, who knows the case from end to end, will explain all that is necessary. You will work with him and report to me tomorrow morning. This meant giving a free hand to Don Luis Perena, and relying on his power of initiative and his perspicacity. Don Luis bowed. I thank you, Monsieur le Préfet. I hope that you will have no reason to regret the trust which you are good enough to place in me. And taking leave of Monsieur Damalion and Maître Le Pertuis, he went out with Sergeant Mazeroux. As soon as they were outside, he told Mazeroux what he knew. The detective seemed much impressed by his companion's professional gifts, and quite ready to be guided by his views. They decided first to go to the Café du Pont Neuf. Here they learned that Inspector Vero, who was a regular customer of the place, had written a long letter there that morning, and the waiter remembered that a man at the next table, who had entered the café at almost the same time as the inspector, had also asked for writing paper, and called twice for yellow envelopes. "'That's it,' said Mazeroux to Don Luis. "'As you suspected, one letter has been substituted for the other.' The description given by the waiter was pretty explicit. 
a tall man with a slight stoop, wearing a reddish-brown beard cut into a point, a tortoise-shell eyeglass with a black silk ribbon, and an ebony walking-stick with a handle shaped like a swan's head. "'That's something for the police to go upon,' said Mazeroux. They were leaving the café when Don Luis stopped his companion. "'One moment. What's the matter? We've been followed.' "'Followed? What next? And by whom, pray?' no one that matters i know who it is and i may as well settle his business and have done with it wait for me i shall be back and i'll show you some fun you shall see one of the nuts i promise you he returned in a minute with a tall thin man with his face set in whiskers he introduced him monsieur mazuru a friend of mine signor caceres an attache at the peruvian legation signor caceres took part in the interview at the prefect's just now it was he who on the peruvian minister's instructions collected the documents bearing upon my identity and he added gaily so you were looking for me dear signor caceres indeed i expected when we left the police office the peruvian attache made a sign and pointed to sergeant mazeroux Padena replied oh pray don't mind monsieur mazeroux you can speak before him he is the soul of discretion besides he knows all about the business the attache was silent Perena made him sit down in front of him. "'Speak without beating about the bush, dear Signor Caceres. It's a subject that calls for plain dealing, and I don't mind a blunt word or two. It saves such a lot of time. Come on. You want money, I suppose, or rather more money. How much?' The Peruvian had a final hesitation, gave a glance at Don Luis's companion, and then, suddenly making up his mind, said in a dull voice, Fifty thousand francs.' "'Oh, by Jove! By Jove!' cried Don Luis. You're greedy, you know. What do you say, Monsieur Mazeroux? Fifty thousand francs is a lot of money, especially as... Look here, my dear Cassettes, let's go over the ground again. Three years ago I had the honour of making your acquaintance in Algeria when you were touring the country. At the same time I understood the sort of man you were, and I asked you if you could manage in three years, with my name of Perena, to fix me up a Spanish-Peruvian identity, furnished with unquestionable papers and respectable ancestors. You said yes. We settled the price, twenty thousand francs. Last week, when the prefect of police asked me for my papers, I came to see you and learned that you had just been instructed to make inquiries into my antecedents. Everything was ready as it happened, with the papers of a deceased Peruvian nobleman of the name of Pereira, properly revised, you had faked me up a first-rate civic status. We arranged what you were to say before the prefect of police, and I paid up the twenty thousand. We were quits. What more do you want? The Peruvian attaché did not betray the least embarrassment. He put his two elbows on the table and said very calmly, "'Monsieur, when treating with you three years ago, I thought I was dealing with a gentleman who, hiding himself under the uniform of the Foreign Legion, wished to recover the means to live respectably afterward. Today I have to do with the universal legatee of Cosmo Mornington, with a man who, to-morrow, under a false name, will receive the sum of one million francs, and in a few months, perhaps, the sum of a hundred millions.' That's quite a different thing. The argument seemed to strike Don Luis. Nevertheless, he objected. And if I refuse? If you refuse, I shall inform the solicitor and the prefect of police that I made an error in my inquiry, and that there is some mistake about Don Luis Perena, in consequence of which you will receive nothing at all, and very likely find yourself in jail. With you, my worthy sir. Me? Of course, on a charge of forgery and tampering with registers for you don't imagine that I should take it lying down. The attaché did not reply. His nose, which was a very big one, seemed to lengthen out still farther between his two long whiskers. Don Luis began to laugh. 
come senor caceres don't pull such a face no one's going to hurt you only don't think that you can corner me better men than you have tried and have broken their backs in the process and upon my word you don't cut much of a figure when you're doing your best to diddle your fellowmen you look a bit of a mug in fact caceres a bit of a mug is what you look so it's understood what we lay down our arms no more base designs against our excellent friend parena capital senor caceres capital and now i'll be magnanimous and prove to you that the decent man of us two is the one whom any one would have thought he produced a cheque-book on the crédit lyonnais here my dear chap here's twenty thousand francs as a present from cosmo mornington's legatee put it in your pocket and look pleasant say thank you to the kind gentleman and make yourself scarce without turning your head any more than if you were one of old man lot's daughters off you go Whoosh! this was said in such a manner that the attache obeyed don luis perena's injunctions to the letter he smiled as he pocketed the cheque said thank you twice over and made off without turning his head the low hound muttered don luis what do you say to that sergeant sergeant mazeroux was looking at him in stupefaction with his eyes starting from his head well but monsieur what sergeant well but monsieur who are you who am i yes didn't they tell you a peruvian nobleman or a spanish nobleman i don't know which in short don luis perena buncombe i've just heard don luis perena late of the foreign legion enough of that monsieur medalled and decorated with a stripe on every seam once more monsieur enough of that and come along with me to the prefect but let me finish hang it i was saying late private in the foreign legion late hero late prisoner of the sûreté late russian prince late chief of the detective service late but you're mad snarled the sergeant what's all this story it's a true story sergeant and quite genuine you ask me who i am and i'm telling you categorically must i go farther back i have still more titles to offer you marquis baron duke archduke grand duke petty duke superduke the whole almanac de gotha by jingo if any one told me that i had been a king by all that's holy i shouldn't dare swear to the contrary sergeant mazeroux put out his own hands accustomed to rough work seized the seemingly frail wrists of the man addressing him and said no nonsense now i don't know whom i've got hold of but i shan't let you go you can say what you have to say at the prefect's don't speak so loud alexandre the two frail wrists were released with unparalleled ease the sergeant's powerful hands were caught and rendered useless and don luis grinned don't you know me you idiot sergeant mazeroux did not utter a word his eyes started still farther from his head he tried to understand and remained absolutely dumbfounded the sound of that voice that way of jesting that schoolboy playfulness allied with that audacity the quizzing expression of those eyes and lastly that christian name of alexandre which was not his name at all and which only one person used to give him years ago was it possible the, the chief he stammered the chief why not no no because because what because you're dead well what about it do you think it interferes with my living being dead and as the other seemed more and more perplexed he laid his hand on his shoulder and said who put you into the police office the chief detective monsieur lenormand and who was monsieur lenormand the chief you mean arsene lupin don't you yes well alexandre don't you know that it was much more difficult for arsene lupin to be chief detective and a masterly chief detective he was 
than to be Don Luis Perena, to be decorated in the Foreign Legion, to be a hero, and even to be alive after he was dead? Sergeant Mazeroux examined his companion in silence. Then his lacklustre eyes brightened, his drab features turned scarlet, and suddenly striking the table with his fist, he growled in an angry voice, "'All right, very well, but I warn you that you mustn't reckon on me. No, not that. I'm in the detective service, and in the detective service I remain. Nothing doing. I've tasted honesty, and I mean to eat no other bread. No, 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 no. No more humbug.' Parena shrugged his shoulders. "'Alexandre, you're an ass. Upon my word, the bread of honesty hasn't enlarged your intelligence. Who talked of starting again? But—but but what? All your manoeuvres, chief. My manoeuvres. Do you think I have anything to say to this business? Look here, chief. Why, I'm out of it altogether, my lad. Two hours ago I knew no more about it than you do. It's Providence that chucked this legacy at me without so much as shouting heads, and it's in obedience to the decrees of then—' It's my mission in life to avenge Cosmo Mornington, to find his natural heirs, to protect them and to divide among them the hundred millions that belong to them. That's all. Don't you call that the mission of an honest man? Yes, but— Yes, but if I don't fulfill it as an honest man, is that what you mean? Chief— Well, my lad, if you notice the least thing in my conduct that dissatisfies you, if you discover a speck of black on Don Luis Perena's conscience, examined under the magnifying glass, don't hesitate. "'Collar me with both hands. I authorize you to do it. I order you to do it. Is that enough for you?' "'It's not enough for it to be enough for me, chief. What are you talking about?' "'There are the others. Explain yourself. Suppose you're nabbed. How?' "'You can be betrayed. By whom?' "'Your old mates. Gone away. I've sent them out of France.' "'Where to?' That's my secret. I left you at the police office, in case I should require your services, and you see that I was right. But suppose the police discover your real identity. Well, they'll arrest you. Impossible. Why? They can't arrest me. For what reason? You've said it yourself, fathead, a first-class, tremendous, indisputable reason. What do you mean? I'm dead. Mazeroux seemed staggered. The argument struck him fully. He at once perceived it, with all its common sense and all its absurdity, and suddenly he burst into a roar of laughter, which bent him in two and convulsed his doleful features in the oddest fashion. "'Oh, gee! <laughs> Just the same as always! Oh, Lord, how funny! Will I come along? I should think I would. As often as you like, you're dead and buried and put out of sight. Oh, what a joke! What a joke!' Hippolyte Fauville, civil engineer, lived on the boulevard Suchet, near the fortifications, in a fair-sized private house having on its left a small garden in which he had built a large room that served as his study. The garden was thus reduced to a few trees and to a strip of grass along the railings, which were covered with ivy and contained a gate that opened on the boulevard Suchet. Don Luis Perena went with Mazeroux to the commissary's office at Passy, where Mazeroux, on Perena's instructions, gave his name and asked to have M. Fauville's house watched during the night by two policemen, who were to arrest any suspicious person trying to obtain admission. The commissary agreed to the request. Don Luis and Mazeroux next dined in the neighborhood. At nine o'clock they reached the front door of the house. "'Alexandre,' said Perena. "'Yes, chief. You're not afraid?' "'No, chief, why should I be?' "'Why? Because in defending M. Fauville and his son we are attacking people who have a great interest in doing away with them, and because those people seem pretty wide awake. Your life, my life, 
a breath, a trifle. You're not afraid? Chief, replied Mazeroux, I can't say if I shall ever know what it means to be afraid, but there's one case in which I certainly shall never know. What case is that, old chap? As long as I'm by your side, chief. And firmly he rang the bell. End of chapter 2